Good evening. I'm Anthony Robustelli, author of I Want to Tell You, The Definitive Guide to the Music of the Beatles, and this is the Beatles' multi-track meltdown. Each week I'll be playing stripped-down, deconstructed mixes of classic Beatles songs, highlighting different instruments and vocals in a way that will truly amaze you. Imagine sitting in the control room at EMI Studios and having the opportunity to peel away the layers of a song, discovering new elements that you never knew existed. This is the closest you can get to that experience. So sit back, tune in, and enjoy the Beatles' multi-track meltdown. I'll make you maybe next time around. On December 8, 1980, John Lennon was murdered in New York City two months after his 40th birthday. Two weeks shy of the 21st anniversary of his death, George Harrison passed away after a bout with cancer. The world nearly lost Harrison two years earlier when a deranged fan broke into his home and nearly killed him. The loss of these two artists can sometimes make the winter months a little bleaker, but tonight we're going to celebrate their lives, focusing on the two Beatles as guitarists. Lennon and Harrison had a special relationship that began in 1958 when Paul McCartney introduced the 15-year-old guitarist to the 17-and-a-half-year-old leader of the Quarrymen. The date and place of this meeting has changed over the years depending on whose story you believe. Harrison claimed the first time he saw the band was at the Wilson Hall opposite the bus depot in Garston, Liverpool, shortly before his 15th birthday in February of 58. But Quarryman drummer Colin Hampton recalled being introduced to him on March 13th at Rory Storm's Morgue Skiffle Cellar, where he played Arthur Guitar Boogie Smith's Guitar Boogie Shuffle. Former Quarryman and one of Lennon's closest friends, Pete Shotton, claimed that McCartney brought the group to Harrison's house at 25 Upton Green for the meeting. Harrison's mother Louise, however, claimed that they met in a local chip shop. In any event, the moment that Harrison played the instrumental Raunchy by Bill Justice on the second story of a double-decker bus for Lennon and McCartney, he was destined to be a member of the Quarrymen. He would sit in at rehearsals, and before long, John Paul and George were the only members of the Quarrymen left. Harrison recalled, I'd been invited to see them play several times by Paul, but for some reason never got round to it before. I remember being very impressed by John's big, thick sideboards and trendy teddy boy clothes. In a way, all that emotional rough stuff was simply a way for him to help separate the men from the boys, I think. I was never intimidated by him. Whenever he had a go at me, I just gave him a little bit of his own right back. Lennon's recollection of meeting Harrison was a bit different, but complimentary. George looked even younger than Paul, and Paul looked about ten with his baby face. We asked George to join because he knew more chords. We got a lot from him. He also knew how to tune a guitar and showed Lennon, who had only four strings on his guitar at the time, tuned like a banjo, real guitar chords. Although he was asked to join the band, Harrison's age would be an issue throughout the Beatles' career, with Lennon and McCartney always treating him as the younger brother, and never as a complete equal, or as Harrison would sarcastically state, an economy-class Beatle. Lennon was already studying at the Liverpool College of Art, and was dating his future wife Cynthia, and would get annoyed when Harrison would tag along because he seemed like a kid. Although Harrison admired Lennon and his aura of reckless maturity, the elder Beatle was particularly impressed by Harrison's irreverence and style. Harrison dressed like a flashy teddy boy, which didn't go over well at Liverpool Institute, especially with his English teacher, George Sissy Smith, better known as Lennon's Uncle George. His Ted look and attitude didn't please John's Aunt Mimi either, and she wasn't fond of him visiting their home in Mendips, so the band often met at Harrison's house, where his mother Louise welcomed them with open arms. Although Harrison was nearly two and a half years younger than Lennon, he would look out for him as the two grew closer. After Lennon's close friend and original bassist in the Beatles, Stuart Sutcliffe, died of a brain hemorrhage in Hamburg, Germany, it was Harrison who was most concerned about its impact on Lennon's emotional well-being. Sutcliffe's girlfriend, photographer Astrid Kirscher, stated that when Lennon and Harrison visited her at the apartment that she had shared with Sutcliffe, Harrison displayed a sense of brotherly love. She recalled that as she took a photo of the two Beatles, that John was brokenhearted because he'd suffered another loss, but George is standing behind him with a look of, I'll look after you, with a very grown-up strength in his face. We're going to begin the show with the only Lennon-Harrison composition in the Beatles canon, the instrumental Cry for a Shadow. The song, originally entitled Beetle Bop, was recorded on June 22, 1961 in Hamburg, Germany, while they were performing as Tony Sheridan's backing band. The song, a parody of the Shadow style, was originally supposed to be the B-side of Sheridan's Why, but was dropped in favor of another selection. When the Beatles gained popularity, it was released as an A-side with Why as the B-side to cash in on their success. 
It was one of only two songs, the other being Ain't She Sweet, that were officially released to feature Pete Best on drums. We'll follow with A Taste of Honey from their debut album Please Please Me, a song in which Lennon and Harrison show a great camaraderie and comfort in their playing. The years of playing the song in Hamburg and Liverpool live paid off and their parts complement each other beautifully. After the strummed rubato chords of the intro, both play a rhythmic part similar to the original version, but as the verse enters, they are clearly creating their own spin on the song. The verse features a call and response of arpeggios with Lennon's J160E acoustic starting the phrases and Harrison's much brighter duo jet answering them. It's a nice touch how their parts cross over, with Harrison starting on the route as Lennon lands there at the end of his arpeggio, as if the parts are intertwined. During the B section, Lennon plays a ska rhythm, accenting the upbeats as Harrison concentrates on more arpeggios, this time bolstering Lennon's part by playing all upbeats. This is where the Beatles show their arrangement skills and prove how they can make a song their own. The feel during this section is completely unique, adding a touch of ska, or blue beat as it was initially known. In 1962, this style of music was primarily played in Jamaica. The first international ska hit, My Boy Lollipop, recorded by Millie Small and featuring young English mod Rod Stewart on harmonica, was two years away. Lennon would return to this rhythm during the solo section of the 1964 song, I Call Your Name. We'll follow with two songs from 64. You Can't Do That features a striking lead guitar motif played by Harrison behind a driving rhythm guitar part played by Lennon, who also takes the bluesy solo. We'll then showcase another song with dueling guitar work, Lennon's I Feel Fine. Lennon begins the song with the signature riff, but Harrison takes it over after the intro. The guitars blend deftly during Harrison's solo as well, blurring the line between lead and rhythm guitar.
In March of 1965, Lennon, Harrison, and their wives Cynthia and Patty were having dinner at dentist John Riley's house and drank coffee spiked with LSD, which was still legal at the time. Lennon spoke of the experience in his 1970 Rolling Stone interview. He laid it on George, me, and our wives without telling us at a dinner party at his house. He was a friend of George's and our dentist at the time. He just put it in our coffee or something. He didn't know what it was, it was just, it's all the thing, with the middle-class London swingers. They had all heard about it and didn't know it was different from pot or pills. And they gave it to us and he was saying, I advise you not to leave. And we thought he was trying to keep us for an orgy in his house and we didn't want to know. The experience brought the two Beatles closer together and had a lasting effect on their friendship. We're going to hear two songs from around that time period from the Help LP, the title track and Ticket to Ride. Besides Harrison's If I Needed Someone from Rubber Soul and the first version of And Your Bird Can Sing, Ticket to Ride would be the last time Harrison used his 12-string Rickenbacker guitar on a Beatles track.
Next up, three songs from late 65. The first two, Day Tripper and Run For Your Life, are notable for their use of multiple guitar layers. Lennon tackles rhythm guitar on each, while Harrison took care of the guitar overdubs. The third song was groundbreaking for its use of the sitar. Harrison became interested in the instrument while filming a scene in the Help movie that featured Indian musicians playing versions of Beatles songs in a restaurant. A few months later during the Beatles' American tour, Harrison's friend David Crosby of The Birds introduced Harrison to the work of sitar virtuoso Ravi Shankar, and once he returned to London, he started to listen to Shankar's music and purchased a cheap sitar from the India Craft Store on Oxford Street. When something extra was needed for Norwegian wood, Harrison suggested the sitar, and history was made.
She Said, She Said is a rarity for a number of reasons. First, it's one of the only songs that Lennon worked on with Harrison at Lennon's home in Weybridge. Lennon wrote the song after he and Harrison took their second acid trip, the first time they consciously took the drug, while on tour in the U.S. in August of 65. It was based on a story actor Peter Fonda was telling them about how he was legally dead after a gun accident when he was a child. Lennon had a number of different snippets of songs related to this experience, and when another song was needed for Revolver, Harrison helped him put them together in time for the last session for the album. It's also noteworthy because it's one of the few Beatles songs on which McCartney doesn't play. After an argument in the studio, he stormed off and Harrison ended up not only playing lead guitar, but also bass and contributing backing vocals along with Lennon. One wonders if McCartney was subconsciously holding a grudge against Lennon for working with Harrison rather than him on the song. Harrison always gave his all to Lennon and McCartney's compositions, and although he didn't have the same opportunities to record his music as the senior writers did, McCartney consistently worked hard on Harrison's songs, adding inventive bass lines, stellar background vocals, striking keyboard parts, and even a guitar solo on Taxman. But curiously, beginning in 1966 with the Revolver LP, Lennon would play less and less on Harrison's compositions. Although Harrison had three songs on the LP, the most he would ever have on a single album, Lennon wouldn't play guitar on any of them. His contributions were limited to background vocals on Taxman and background vocals tambourine and hand claps on I Want to Tell You. He did, however, help Harrison with the lyrics on Taxman, although begrudgingly. Lennon elaborated on it in a 1980 interview. I remember the day he called to ask for help on Taxman, one of his first songs. I threw in a few one-liners to help the song along because that's what he asked for. He came to me because he couldn't go to Paul. Paul wouldn't have helped him in that period. I didn't want to do it, I just sort of bit my tongue and said, okay. It had been John and Paul for so long, he'd been left out because he hadn't been a songwriter up until then. Although Lennon would add background vocals to a few of Harrison's songs after Revolver, he would only play guitar on It's All Too Much and Piano on Something. Next up, McCartney's Lovely Rita, a song that not only features driving acoustic guitar parts by Lennon and Harrison, but also comb and paper played by the duo. We'll follow with two Lennon songs from 68 that demonstrate the perfect blend of rhythm and lead guitars on two drastically different tracks, Revolution, a hard-rocking blues, and Dear Prudence, a delicate finger-picked arrangement. 
Lennon and Harrison's relationship was complex and was strained at many times. When Yoko Ono began coming to the studio during the sessions for the White Album, Harrison didn't hold his tongue, telling the couple what he really thought. Lennon recalled, George insulted her right to her face in the Apple office at the beginning, just being straightforward, you know? That game of, well, I'm going to be up front because this is what we've heard, and Dylan and a few people said she's got a lousy name in New York, and you gave off bad vibes. That's what George said to her, and we both sat through it, and I didn't hit him. I don't know why. The atmosphere didn't improve during the Get Back sessions. Harrison brought in countless songs that were head and shoulders above Lennon's, yet Lennon would constantly ignore, or worse yet, mock him when he brought them to the group. Legend has it that the two were involved in a fistfight during the sessions, one of the reasons that Harrison quit. After the breakup of the Beatles, Lennon was scheduled to play at the concert for Bangladesh, which George had organized. But since Ono was not invited to participate, Lennon decided not to show. After all the ups and downs that the two endured, Harrison still played on half of Lennon's second solo album, 1971's Imagine. We're going to close the show with a song from that album that Lennon wrote in response to what he perceived as personal slights by McCartney on the Ram album, How Do You Sleep? Harrison's stinging slide work is definitely a highlight of this recording. Thank you. 
Well, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed this special Lennon and Harrison guitarist edition of the Beatles multi-track meltdown. I'm Anthony Robustelli, author of I Want to Tell You, The Definitive Guide to the Music of the Beatles, Volume 1, 1962-1963, and the Steely Dan FAQ. Tune in next time to hear more deconstructed mixes of classic Beatle tunes, solo cuts, live tracks, and much, much more. You can also pick up my new CD, The Steely Dan Sessions, Interpretations of Unrealized Classics, at CD Baby, at the Anthony Robostelli website, or stream it on Spotify, Apple Music, and others. You can stream past shows on iTunes, Podbean, or at the website, thebeatlesiwanttotellyou.com, and follow me on Instagram and Twitter, ShadyBearBKLYN. You can also like the Facebook pages for I Want to Tell You and The Steely Dan FAQ. See you next time.